This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. That's right, Top Step, not Top Step Trader, not Top Step FX. Dan? We are just Top Step. I've been struggling with that like the last week, too, because I've done, I've done a bunch of stuff, a couple webinars and things, and uh, I just keep saying Top Step Trader. Oh, wait, nope. We are Top Step. We are one word now. Yeah, through the uh, strange alchemy of marketing listeners, we have chopped off half our name <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, put together our new brand. Uh, it's edgy. It's about education. And uh, it makes it easier because now people don't ask, hey, Top Step FX, is that you? Yeah, it's just Top Step. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we're all one. Doesn't matter what you trade. All traders are welcome. And speaking of people who were welcome to be here, uh, we had a great interview with uh, Victor Nebahoy, who's the CMO and co-founder of freetrade.io. Uh, uh, super cool guy. Worked for seven years for Google over in Dublin. Uh, had some good luck investing in a lot of things, including Google. Well, talking about Google with him, it was so exciting to learn his story. I mean, first 100 employees in, in uh, Europe. And I mean, he was in on the ground floor. He talks about that quite a bit in our uh, our conversation, which was just really intriguing. You know, you think of Google now and you think of this trillion dollar company that has the corner on everything. Um, you Anything you go to search, the first thing you're trying to do to look up, you know, if you're doing a high school presentation or uh, you're looking to present to some massive organization, the first thing you do is go to google.com and search what yeah. you're going to talk about. You're an amateur sleuth trying to solve <laughs> unsolved crimes. You go to Google. You Google it. Right? Yeah. It always brings me back to the movie um, uh, The Internship or The Interns uh, with Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. And Owen Wilson's trying to make a make something up about the stars and the girl he's on a date with Googles it and he goes, Google's been killing my my uh my dating game since it was launched. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I applied for a job at Google once. Uh I did not get that, Dan. And that's why you're here. Exactly. Well, you know, you know, you know you're kind of like the uh the BSD, so to speak, of the industry when uh everyone else had you fill out all these lengthy applications for Google. It's just like, nah, just submit your resume. We'll have uh, computers read it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then uh, we'll get back to you if you can help us do something like that. So yeah, Google's done some incredible stuff. And Victor has too. And um, I kind of loved uh, how amped he seemed to be by the stuff that he's doing. And I think that's important, whether you're trading or you know, being an entrepreneur or whatever else. It's super cool to see people that are passionate about what they're doing, and Victor certainly was. So, uh, absolutely, I think you're all going to enjoy this conversation, and we'll catch you guys after that said conversation. We'll see you then. All right, hello everybody, uh, welcome. We are joined today by Victor Nebohoy, who is the uh, CMO and co-founder at Free Trade. Uh, Victor, how you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on the show. On re uh, show. Really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. We're excited to sit down and chat with you. You've got such an interesting background. I can't wait to hear some of this stuff. So I'm ready to dive in. Cool. Yeah. So why don't we just start right at the top? Uh, I'm looking at your resume right now and your sheet. It says um, uh, 
you grew up uh, somewhere different than many of our guests. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's correct. I um, I grew up in Eastern Europe. I, I'm actually a little bit at the very old, um, actually the oldest uh, range of, of millennial. I'm actually 40 years old. So um, I still remember, you know, like communism and I almost became a pioneer <laughs> at one point, you know, which you were supposed to do when you were like 10 or whatever. So, so yeah, that's that, that's quite different. And, and basically, like early on, I can't like realize there were other countries than Hungary. And uh, I did very well in various subjects at school, um, like like maths, uh, languages, all that sort of stuff. And in the end of the day, you know, once I graduated from university, a lot of my peers wanted to work in uh, banking. That was 2004. So it was well before 2008 when, you know, a lot of things turned around, uh, around the reputation of that profession and, you know, all that stuff, which you guys are very familiar with. But I wanted to work on the internet. So it was like relatively new. I got broadband and I was like, this is fantastic. You know, like, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that too. Yeah. The dial up, you just hear it click. Mom, yeah. get off the phone. I want to use the computer. No, no more spending uh, hours downloading a song on uh, Kazaa or whatever. <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah, everyone has that generational experience. And, and then I was like, this is fantastic. Like, how can I get a job which is like all about that? Um, th- then a great thing happened. Uh, Hungary joined the EU uh, in 2004, and um, straight away you could work in in three countries in the EU without any permits or anything like that: uh, Sweden, United Kingdom, and Ireland. I actually liked Ireland the most. It sounded like really adventurous, um, and uh, I figured out that Google was opening an office there, so I applied, and um, I had like. You know, they actually got back to me. I was editing my blog. I was becoming quite technical with HTML, and they, I applied a sort of like um, like an advertising for advertising sales, and they got back to me. Oh, we have this like kind of like secretive technical role. Do you want to apply? And super big job description. And I'm like, yes, why not? <laughs> Sign me up. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and it turned out it was um, uh, basically uh, pretty much what it was, um, uh, search engineering sitting in Mountain View, California. They needed feedback on their data. So they basically gave my team like a, an infinite list of websites to manually review and give feedback, whether it's high quality, low quality, spam or whatever, data points like that. So we ended up over time automating a lot of that, becoming technical. And um, I, I was lucky enough that, I, I I was able to participate in building up that department. I got opportunities. I went to California. I went to Hyderabad, India, uh, different places. So I had a great time for, for seven years, built my early career there. Um, and then after seven years, I felt it was, you know, my learning wasn't, it was plateauing. It was time to kind of move on. So that that's why I left Google at, at the time. Yeah, I, I love Dublin too. My uh, wife actually lived there. She went to college there and lived there for six and a half years. And uh, because she did not have the EU citizenship, her visas eventually ran out. She had to come back. And that's when she met me. So I'm happy about that. So I'm glad <laughs> it worked out for you, worked out for both of us. But yeah, love Dublin. Go there a couple of times uh, every yeah, year great. or so. Yeah. Look, I did not appreciate when I was, when I was living there, but uh, comparing it to, you know, after, after then I lived in Hong Kong, and after then, in London, obviously, it's just like great vibe. It's kind of like, you know, very easy to walk from one end to the other. You can have a great lifestyle there if you, you know, manage to settle settle down there. So it, it's a great place. Absolutely. So I've got a question for you. I know it's not trading related, but I'm really curious about what 
Google was like in 2004 versus obviously Alphabet now, the parent company of Google is one of the biggest companies in the entire world. But in 2004, it was a whole different situation, I, f- I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very different. So the company IPO'd in 2004, still very early times. And I joined in Europe in 2005, actually. Um, okay. A little bit later, right? And um, so I, I was one of the first 100 employees in, in Europe, and it looked very different. Like, uh, you know, Google is famous for all these perks, like food, you know, everywhere, all the time. Right. There was nothing like that. I think we started introducing um, kind of like a warm lunch on Friday or something like that. That was like a fantastic kind of like step, you know. And at this point, you know, I spent my career in tech and everyone is really like coddled, kind of like has like great benefits, you know, amazing salaries, everything you want. Uh, but that, there was really nothing of the of the perks at the time. It was all about making it happen and being scrappy and building it up rather like a startup. That's what I was going to say. It almost sounds like a kind of a startup feel in the beginning and really built into such a conglomerate. Yeah, exactly. And that change happened inc- incredibly fast because Google is really great at kind of like hiring, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but hiring really smart people. <laughs> no, I, I <laughs> humble that, brag. That's okay. That's <laughs> brag away. <laughs> and uh, basically t- tapping the intellectual horsepower of all these people in like aggregate and building up processes, building up initiatives that are like 10x on what Google did before. And and the collection of all that intellectual horsepower eventually results in products like Gmail, products like cloud, and, you know, like everything becomes more efficient all the time. So it eventually became, became an extremely valuable company, but it was it was very unstructured. I remember looking for like a chair for my desk. You know, <laughs> that, that stuff. We were all on the same floor. Um, so it, it was very different. We still had an Oracle calendar. You know, Google Calendar is pretty default right now. We used um, something from Oracle that I did not really understand. I wanted to change like an appointment and I managed to email the whole company. So, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was part of the product suite or uh, what we used internally at the time. So it was very different, very different. Nice. So you're, you do seven years at Google, you're leaving there. You probably have a lot of options in front of you. So what you get into next? Yeah. So I, I wanted to, you know, move from um, kind of like a niche, um, kind of like experience of previewing all these websites into kind of like, broader, more entrepreneurial um, activities kind of learn. Uh, I, I felt there was, you know, I just developed the niche in, in Google and I just, I was so curious and I wanted to do more and kind of like cooler things as well, to be honest. So uh, I got this great opportunity in Hong Kong where I was leading the uh, all the search engine optimization across Asia for uh, for a client, General Motors. Not the most exciting brand, but um, I mean, they have a lot of money. They had a, a lot of money. Uh, for marketing at, at the time as well. And basically we were taking over that account from a different digital marketing agency. It was the biggest takeover of a, of an account in the digital media world at, at the time. So I was really lucky to be, to be a part of that. And, and, and I learned a lot in the process, um, about search engine optimization, but client management as well. So it, it, it was a great start. Unfortunately, my uh, girlfriend, now wife, she, she did not. Um, she did not find a role in Hong Kong. She, she actually left Google for me, which I kind of felt bad about. She joined me in Hong Kong. Uh, she ended up not finding anything for herself, unfortunately. So we moved back to Europe. We did an MBA, which was always on our our uh, bucket list, and 
that's kind of how my interest in finance and, and investing really started. That's just uh, that's just amazing. So now that we've kind of transitioned to investment and finance, um, how did you? Where did you begin? Because it's such a different path for everyone. Yeah, ex- exactly. And and kind of um, where I began, I I had no formal education about finance. I had great stock options at uh, at Google, amazing ones. I I, I cannot be thankful enough um, for the opportunity that that I got at Google. Um, I, I did not like really appreciate and understand that that was like not normal, and I I wasn't financially literate at all. Like I would keep like a lot of cash in my bank account, like crazy stuff like that, stuff that like literally finance one personal finance one oh one these are <laughs> I actually do except like getting into that and, and, and all that sort of stuff because I'm just like I'm coming from Eastern Europe I'm frugal. Uh but um yeah then th- there was an elective course at my MBA called personal finance. So so beyond the corporate finance uh subjects and I'm like you know light bulb switching on okay so you can actually put money into something it becomes more money that that's like a fantastic idea. Why you know did not I hear that about that at like school or something. So I started putting up on that topic and I was like, okay, ETFs, all that sort of stuff. I, I ended up opening um, an investment account in, in, in Hong Kong where I was still officially resident at the time um, uh, with a broker called Eight Securities, a, a bit of a shout out to them as well. Now, SoFi acquired uh, the company, um, which is an American company, I believe. So I, I opened an account there and, and I started investing Um and I got hooked. Ooh. It's it, it catches you fast, and once it does, you you don't want to stop. It's my my younger brother is um, at my house right now, and he bought Boeing down ninety something. And nice. every morning he wakes up and he's looking at Boeing. He is hooked, and to see Boeing approving or the FAA approving the seven thirty seven Max this morning, he yep. comes out guns blazing, ready to take a look at how how good his stock is doing. It creates this addiction and the desire to want to do more. Yeah, exactly. It really switches you on and it makes you more literate in terms of what's going on in the world. Because if you really consider like what drives the world ahead, like what, what creates value, what creates wealth, it's virtually all companies, right? I mean, there is government research that's like really valuable. Uh, I think the US did an amazing job at, at that. Uh, but it's really companies uh, that create all the, all the value. And why would not you be like super interested in that and be like uh, a beneficiary of that and, and, and a partaker as well. That, that's a super interesting topic. So did you find yourself, uh, Victor, investing heavily in uh, tech companies or just from your experience at Google because that's what you knew? or Because uh, I see on your sheet here, you seem to have gotten involved with Tesla a little bit at some point, which is definitely a plus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So basically what I uh, what I did, Jack, I um, I actually sold a lot of my Google stock. Obviously, you know, Google, Google did great since it, it's an amazing stock to hold on to, but I was like, how long will I hold on to it? And, you know, I was very excited about Tesla, um, amongst other tech companies, but, but yeah, fundamentally I started with tech companies and especially Tesla. And, and the reason why I was very attracted, very drawn to Tesla is, um, you know, I'm very conscious of, you know, climate change and where we are heading. And I feel very few companies like really truly are kind of like hardcore trying to solve that problem, right? Uh, working toward an electrified future, basically. So I felt very strongly that this company and what Elon Musk is doing is, you know, something something that which is a good place for my money. It's going to only do better. And uh, I started um, selling my 
Google stock and turning it into into Tesla Tesla stock. That was my little arbitrage there, and I, I obviously I, I did extremely well on that on, on that trade. Like every month, I would you know sell and and buy Tesla stock, and I I I, I, I was debating like you know should I share numbers or not? Obviously, numbers would make this more interesting, but I'm a little bit afraid of long lost relatives <laughs> from Hungary. You know, finding this podcast. Oh, no, that's completely fine. <laughs> you know, we always dance around numbers like that. It is, Absolutely. It's always good to see companies that have a vision. I feel like there's so many companies out there when you think about big conglomerates that kind of just have a vision because it's something that they told people to do in NBA school. So, you know, you have something like, you know, I'm sure Comcast, for instance, very, uh, hated company here in the United States. I'm sure they have some sort of vision about we were, you know, we provide, the broadband that fuels America or some yeah. like that. Uh, but regardless of what you think about Tesla, they do have an incredible vision. So I think that's always an exciting thing to be involved with. Absolutely. I look at Tesla and I think the uh, majority of people when they look at Tesla, I think they're thinking it's a car company. They're not producing that many cars. Therefore, it should not be valued like a GM or a Ford. And I think the counterpoint to that is they're a lot more than just a car company. They are a battery company that is fueling not just Tesla cars, um, but innovation for all sorts of avenues to go. Then you throw this concept of SpaceX on top of it, which is just amazing. No, it's not part of Tesla. It's a different subsidy. But I think a lot of people look at Tesla and they connect Tesla with SpaceX. And therefore, when you see SpaceX doing what it's doing right now, you see Tesla continuing to beat revenues and earnings per share every single quarter. It's hard not to look at a stock like that and say, I got to be in on this. Yeah, exactly. That, 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 that was my thinking as well. Um, considering Tesla as, as a car company is, is flawed. I, I, I don't think like a car company. Car is one of the products that's going to be part of the product suite, if you will. But there is like a big energy problem that we need to solve um, as like, you know, as, as a human race, right? And, um, you know, um, nuclear has like really bad rap at this point that, you know, fairly or unfairly, um, there is only so much carbon we can physically put in, in the air if for nothing else, because we are going to run out of it. But, you know, for other like very good reasons as well, we should not do that. So that, that really leaves um, renewables and, and Tesla is basically, that's what Tesla is for me. And like you said, a, a battery company. So the, the numbers are very encouraging as well, though. Like, it's just great to see those numbers. Like, every um, uh, uh, trading uh, announcement is, is just, like, recently it started particularly do well. But, but yeah, that, that long-term vision is what really made me invest in Tesla. Speaking of long-term vision, when you look at, you know, getting into Tesla early, obviously that is a – it's a – it's a gutsy move um, because we really didn't know just yet. And obviously there were the volatile times when Elon Musk was tweeting. If you don't like volatility, don't buy Tesla stock. I mean, there were some questionable things um, or concerns that a lot of people had investing in Tesla. My question for you is how did you get through? How did you approach those responses and that volatility that you saw in Tesla? And then say the last year approximately that Tesla has gone from this $280 stock to a right now, I think you could value it at $2,500 pre five for one split. How do you, how did you go through that process? Yeah, I, I think it's very important to understand. And I'm starting to understand that now as an entrepreneur, that the more successful you are, the more 
kind of like media is looking to give you a bad rap. And there is definitely a numerical basis to make a, make a better case about Tesla. But I think what's really important is once you have the conviction, one, be like really sure about it. It should not be because, oh, yeah, you read a quick article and this Tesla thing sounds good. Uh, you need to follow the company and like truly understand what, what it's about and, and be ready to commit and stay committed because value doesn't get created like over like overnight. It, it gets created over time and the more time, the bigger value can get created, right? And then mm-hmm. try not to follow social media too much because the more successful <laughs> SpaceX, right? And, and Elon Musk becomes the more it turns out that According to the media, he is a very uh, faulty person. You know, it's just like not not worthy of, of 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 the fame and wealth he has. But you should not really, if you have if you have conviction, you should not really care about about that stuff. And and that applies for like any company, and particularly if you invest in startups as well. And you know, they just like public companies, they they have their ups and downs. Uh, share price go, goes up and down. If you have conviction, just like try to disconnect uh, mm-hmm. of social media, because I, I honestly don't think that that's a particularly useful spend of your time and spend of your mental energy. That, that's what really helped me. I, I'd, I'd lie if, if I wasn't like, you know, staying up at night and thinking about my, was it like, really, you know, at least Google, I know I, I have conviction it's going to become more valuable. Was it really like a good idea to put that much money in Tesla? But, you know, you, you have to maintain conviction. Yeah. And if, you, if you invest in standups, you got to be prepared to... Uh, lose a bunch or be comfortable with holding something that's 10x in your favor or more in the case of uh, Tesla. So um, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about the company that you have, because I'm super interested in this as well. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how you uh, came to start free trade? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a pretty interesting story, if I if I may say so. Yeah, I would say your whole story so far has been pretty interesting. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, ratchet up, uh, ratchet it up a little yeah. bit, uh, a little bit more entrepreneurship and adventure. So um, I, I moved to London uh, because my uh, my girlfriend joined uh, Google here again. Um, she had a great opportunity, and and you know I. You know, you can only be a feminist if you walk the walk, not just talk the talk. She moved for me, so it was only fair that I moved for her opportunity. And I didn't, did not really want to be in London, to be honest. I changed planes here a couple of times before. It wasn't really on my map. I, I know it has a great brand. It, it's a great place to live, you know, lots of like things to do, but it was not ever something I was drawn to, but I was here. So at one point I was riding the tube and I saw an advertisement for a Crowdcube. That's the equity crowdfunding uh, platform here in, in, in the UK. And I'm like, wow, that if, you know, if, if this ad is correct, that's really interesting because you can basically be a, an angel investor, invest in startups. You have, you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, you don't have to have your own solicitor. You don't have to have your own deal flow. You just go to the platform. There is an amazing startup that you like. Put in 10 pounds, put in 10,000, put in 100,000 if you have that kind of money, but basically very flexible. So, so I went home, I checked it out and I'm like, wow, okay, that, that looks interesting. It was very uh, lucky timing because it was 20, uh, summer 2016. Um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with Monzo, uh, which is a, a, challenger's, uh, a challenger bank uh, here uh, competing with uh, legacy banks like Lloyd's and, and Barclays. 
maybe similar to Chime in the States. Sure. Uh, okay. We were crowdfunding at the time. That was their very first crowdfunding ever. So I invested. Um, and then uh, Revolut, which is probably more uh, familiar uh, to you guys because they have a, a U.S. presence. So, so it was their very first crowdfunding as well. So I invested. Then something interesting popped up on my CrowdCube, which was uh, free trade, which is pretty much a, a pitch deck and Adam, our, our founder and CEO, it was basically his kind of show, his idea. He left his, um, you know, despite having uh, three small kids now, a wife, he, he left a sure shot job at KPMG to set this up. I was very impressed with his story. I was very impressed with the pitch deck. So I looked across my bank accounts and I was like, okay, what's the maximum amount I can put into this company? Like, you know, my Hong Kong account, my, my Irish account, whatever. I pulled together all the money I could. I, I was left with like 15 pounds until the end of the month. And I put everything <laughs> in Petrit. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't like super life-changing amount, but it was enough for me to to turn to my girlfriend for, you know, financial support uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the month. And, and then um, it turned out I was the very first person who... Uh, wasn't a friend or family member and invested a, a thousand pound or more uh, in the in the company uh, above that amount. And I, I did not know that at the time. I just reached out to Adam to, you know, just kind of like connect to the guy who was was basically the brains behind all this. Um, and we met up in person and I was super impressed with how prepared he was. He knew, his, knew the industry, knew the numbers. Um, and I was so impressed. I basically emailed him later whether I can be whether he needs someone who leads growth marketing for, for free trade. You hadn't even met him in person and you started clearing bank accounts to invest in his business. Yeah. Yeah, that I, must have been a, an amazing pitch. Hell of a PowerPoint. Yeah. <laughs> wow. To me, to, me was, to, to me it was. And basically what really drove my interest is that basically it was a product I was looking for. I moved to the UK and I was looking to set up my... Um, UK investment account, and there is an amazing system in the or a type of account in the UK called ISO uh, individual savings account, which is tax sheltered. So basically, any gains you, you can invest in, like what would become Google in like ten years, make like ten thousand percent return, and basically uh, you you don't pay uh, um, capital gains tax on it. So I, I want, wanted to set that up uh, for obvious reasons, but everything was really clunky and very expensive. Um, I, I thought the UK was a, a sophisticated financial market, but I did not find anything that was like below like eight pounds per transaction or twelve pounds per transaction. I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, it's like 2016. Why don't we have better products? And, and there it was, free trade, basically, um, Adam building this product. Nice. So, and that what year was that? Uh, 2016. 2016. Um, and now. What was the progression from 2016 to where we're at now? Because I know you guys have an astronomical number of users. You did, you've done some amazing stuff. So how has that progression gone? And obviously, as fast as it has, it's it's pretty amazing. Thanks. We we are lucky to have the kind of community that we that we managed to build, and and our progress has been has been exponential. And basically, what what we did. Um, the the uh, our crowdfunding the the crowdfunding that we did every, every year equity crowdfunding it it basically worked for us like a growth loop if that makes sense like every year we went back more people invested in free trade more people connected to free trade uh, from the original 140 people that uh, invested in 2016 the very first crowdfunding round we have more than 10,000 shareholders by now 
crowdfunding shareholders, which is an incredible amount. And every year uh, we manage to make progress on the on the product, uh, progress on different KPIs, and we managed to raise more and more uh, to to the point that there was fair war around free trade. Like we raised one million pounds in seventy seven seconds uh, last year, which was which was an incredible testament to how people, like how passionate people felt about the existence and progress of this product and how hungry they were to partake in our, um, in our progress. So that was uh, kind of growth loop number one, uh, if you will. And uh, by now we have uh, 250,000 uh, uh, users, which, you know, from an American perspective, it may not seem like a lot, but the UK is a little bit of a smaller market than, than the US and, and we are growing incredibly rapidly. Um, and next year we are going to step into Europe uh, for real for the first time. And Europe is even more underserved than the UK. We are very bullish on Europe. Um, obviously, I, I'm coming from the continent and I know that all my friends, basically, they email me regularly, almost daily, like, when will we have free trade? <laughs> yeah, particularly this year switched almost everyone into the mindset of we had this incredible bull market, right, since... Um, you know, since the end of the last financial crisis, suddenly equities became cheap because of the health crisis that we had. And then people want to buy stocks. Um, and with the lockdowns, people actually had time to learn about investing um, to kind of get started. And, and particularly in Europe, uh, people don't have the tools, particularly in our, in our core demographic, which is uh, 25 to 35 years old. Uh, that's what we see in the UK. They just don't have anything to invest with. It's basically old banks, uh, ten euro per transaction, that that kind of stuff. So you've got you're only you're only in the UK right now. You're looking to expand into Europe. Do you guys see yourself eventually bringing it over uh, across the pond here to the United States? Uh, potentially, the the mission is to get everyone investing. Um, we think the the actually the US is is a very special market because it's so well served right now. The capital markets look very different in 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 Europe and and other regions. A lot less competitive. It's actually a lot easier to run something like free trade in the US than it is in, in the UK or Europe because of just the different wiring of the capital, capital markets. And uh, it's just a little bit more expensive to, to run this. But in the future, potentially, yes, that, that is the mission. It will probably one of the last markets we are, uh, we are going to go to. Um, our strategy is more to be Europe wide. Very similarly, how in the US, you are not you know, a California-only company or a New York-only company. We don't want to be a UK-only company. We want to be everywhere in the, in the EU, kind of treated as like one giant market, which it is more than 100 million millennials. Uh, that's really our market. So that's the market we want to nail first. And then uh, go into Asia, uh, potentially Australia, New Zealand, these kind of markets, and, and then the U.S., so the the competition. So yeah, obviously in the U.S. we have uh, financialized everything. We got that pretty right. <laughs> pretty down. But so a competitor here would be like it's a little bit similar to the sort of business uh, model of as like a Robinhood or something like that. Yeah, our, our business model is is, is uh, fairly different. Uh, I would say um, to to a large part because we just think very differently about you know kind of like ethics and how we want to make money from our customers. Um, uh, something like payment for order flow is is actually uh, not allowed in most uh, European markets, with the exception of Germany. Uh, but it's not really something we want to we want to do. Um, for us, what drives our revenue when it's been it's been growing really well? It's uh, it's FX. So people 
based in the UK, uh, sterling is the currency they want to invest in something in the US. Uh, obviously, US dollars, we charge a, a very modest uh, FX conversion fee uh, for that. And, and that's going to be the case when we expand in, into Europe. We're adding European um, stocks. Uh, Euro is the main currency, but there are lots of local ones. So we are going to benefit from uh, this uh, situation of different currencies. Uh, we are very transparent and open about how we make money. Uh, we also don't really like, kind of like, um, you know, there are a lot of neo brokers maybe going with options and, and leverage. We just don't think that's very healthy for kind of like the mainstream population to get involved with that. I mean, obviously, we saw, you know, the same like tragical stories that, that you, you know, you guys have in, um, in the, in the US. Um, we just, in the UK, we have something similar with CFDs, contract for different brokers. Um, quite a few people historically burned themselves and, uh, kind of had like, um, tragical financial outcomes because they just, you know, it's a complex product. They didn't really think it through. Um, so these are products or monetization, um, features that we want to avoid. We want to focus on, uh, things that will help people get better financial outcomes. So one of the first features we implemented were ISO accounts because we feel strongly that, um, you know, you should benefit from that. Um, we charge three pounds per month, uh, for that. And then, um, basically we are trying to add, um, features that, ben- that help you get better financial outcomes, like insights. Um, you know, features that describe your portfolio and, and benchmark as well. We basically give you the FTSE, uh, all world, uh, benchmark and how your portfolio did against it. So you know that all your like Boeing or, you know, Tesla investment, did they really do better than, than the benchmark? So these are the kind of features we are uh, focusing on and we are trying to monetize. That's I love cool. that. That's really cool. I was glad that I asked that question because I was probing. It's always when you have the sort of app-based system. I didn't want to infer anything or or, or, or judge one way or the other. But um, yeah, the uh, the payment for order flow is sort of a interesting way that uh, Robinhood makes their money. And as I said, mm-hmm. Citadel would never pay billions for something if they weren't making money off of it. Um, but also, I think it's cool uh, what you mentioned about the options in CFD because that's the other thing. We were talking about missions earlier. And I know that Robinhood's mission is roughly similar where it's sort of like unlocking the financial world for everyone um, to build wealth. But should that mean just allowing people to trade options if they can pass a three-question multiple-choice test? I mean, these are questions I don't have the answers to, but I think it's cool the model you guys are using. Yeah, exactly. You you, you can make arguments for and against, right? And And, and we actually do admire all the neo brokers that made like progress and kind of like enabled people to invest, uh, for the first time very often. We just think very differently in terms of what are the priorities and what are the helpful features for like the, the vast majority of the population, right? And, and options may be appropriate for people who have more information, more education. They exactly know what they are doing and servicing them well is, is a good thing for those companies and their clients. But we just don't think that the, the vast majority of our Custom, current customers and future customers would benefit from that. So we are taking taking a little bit of a different view um, on that question. Great. So you guys are expanding into Europe, hopefully. Uh, big things on the horizon. Um, how do people... Uh, we have listeners who are kind of all over the world here. Uh, a lot of people in the US, so I won't be doing that. But um, you know, where can they learn more? Just to go to freetrade.io? Is that the site? Correct. Yeah, I'd love it. You know, uh, UK and European listeners uh, would 
you know, give us a chance and we'll check us out. Th- that would be amazing. One of the good sort of like exciting uh, things that we are working on now is um, get, uh, get another uh, tax efficient account, uh, self-invested uh, personal pensions. That's a pension account in the UK um, uh, that, you know, um, everyone should read the terms and conditions, but but it, it can be potentially an amazing vehicle for your pensions. The, the pension market, you know, and how it works in Europe, it's, yeah, we, we, we just love to improve that, right? Uh, but at the same time, we have to be part of the financial plumbing, the financial structure. And uh, we think that's the right sort of next product that we are going to launch in December. So we'd love if, you know, your listeners could check that out, uh, freetrade.io slash SIP, S-I-P-P. And if they sign up now until 6th of December, they would get a, a free share that can be anything from Coca-Cola to Amazon. It's a little bit of a giveaway that, that we are planning to do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, that sounds um, fantastic. So I encourage you all there to check out uh, Free Trade. Victor, you know, thanks so much for stopping by today. Uh, I had a great time talking to you. Um, I this love- was a true pleasure. Yeah. I love the way you're uh, willing to just go after what you uh, believe in. Uh, likewise, guys, I, I I really appreciate that you uh, g- uh, gave me an opportunity on this show, and uh, it's it's always a little bit awkward to listen listen back to my own voice. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it is, but yeah, I, I enjoyed this conversation so much. I'm definitely going to listen to the episode again and and share uh, far and wide uh, with, with everyone. Oh, well, thank you very much, Victor, and we'll see everyone else out there after the sound effect. Hey, everybody, thank you for making it to the final countdown of the Limited Podcast presented by Top Step, not Top Step Trader, not Top Step FX, it's just <laughs> Top Step. I'm doing this more as an exercise for myself to uh, remember. If I keep on saying it, I think it'll stick. Just read my shirt. Oh, yeah. Is that one of the new shirts? No, it's the, uh, the old one, oh. but it just says Top Step. Nice. Well, we have the uh, the merch store on the site, I believe, now, too. So, Absolutely. And I have to say, go dive into the, the swag shop and see if you can find the uh, the unicorn shirt with uh, our very own John Hoagland's face on it. It is my favorite. Oh, that's awesome. Do we have just a shirt with, like, Hoag's face? We have a shirt with Hoag's face, um, like, holding his head in the pit back in the day. Um, it's a riot. Oh, there's so many. He's a... Uh... You know how on CNBC you see certain people who are always, you know, with the Dow's up a thousand, down a thousand. It's always mm-hmm. the one guy with the mustache. It's either like sad broker or happy broker. Hogan right. was like that for a long time. There's so many newspaper clippings of every time there's market news, you see various stages of Hogue in the early 90s grabbing his hair. He's got very, uh, very emotional faces that he puts on, good and bad. You can uh, you can read him pretty good. Nice. Well, uh, so check out the swag shop. Get some top step swag and uh, yeah, have a good time closing out your books for the year. We're almost at the end of 2020. Thank God. <laughs> I, I keep saying it, but we're going to look back on this year and it's not even going to be a year. It's just going to be an adjective. Oh, yeah, that's a 2020. Any, instead of Murphy's Law, you're just going to say, oh, it's a 2020. Yeah, 2020. What can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. I, I saw a joke the other day and it was like, God telling an angel, like, you've got to plan out all the issues that are going to happen in the 2020s. Did you get that done? And the angel goes, wait, did you say plural 2020s, like all 10 years? And he's like, yeah, all 10 years. 
you didn't put it all in 2020, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. That definitely has that feeling. What what was it like? Right? Was it was a Marx or Lenin about the uh, you know decades where nothing happens and weeks where decades happen? So right, we went through one of those, but uh, we're almost out. So hopefully, everyone's 2021 is a little nicer than the 2020. And um, yeah, we'll still be doing the intro outro recordings, but I think this is our last live interview. Oh, I guess we have one more. No, we have one more live interview. Then we'll do some best of episodes. So enjoy all those and your. Uh, trips to your house i suppose and uh, <laughs> we'll see you uh, next week with a brand new interview uh with a friend of dan's so that should be interesting so in the meantime namaste and trade well everybody see you later the limit up podcast is produced by dante 32 Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.